Seeking for the help of the Lord, I desire this evening to continue the series that we've had for some 14 or so weeks on the questions asked in Scripture. And this evening, speaking from the text in our reading, Matthew chapter 22, and reading for our text, verse 42. Our Lord's question to the Pharisees that were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ, whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. So the question, What think ye of Christ, whose son is he? The Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers, or those expert in the law, had been asking questions of our Lord, deliberately trying to trip him up, trying to bring those things that they thought he could not answer, those things that they thought would further their own belief as the Sadducees, that there could not be, a resurrection, or to trip up our Lord in bringing the doctrines of our Lord in opposition to the laws of man as to whether taxes should be paid to Caesar or not. And the Lord so wonderfully answered those questions. And it is on that backdrop with those that were really uh, or in some cases flattering the Lord before they were then seeking to trip him up. Those who had very little knowledge really of who they were speaking to, how small views they had of Jesus as the eternal God, Emmanuel God with us, the incarnate God that filled heaven and the earth. The way that men spoke of him, said that he, by the prince of devils, casted out devils and those who treated him with such contempt. But the Lord then asked them a question. And in one sense it's amazing that those that were so learned or supposedly learned in the scriptures that they could not answer this question. They'd had the Psalms of David with them for a thousand years and yet they never ever puzzled over and thought of that question that David uh, sets forth in Psalm 110. Our Lord saying and quoting it, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. They had answered him what they thought of Christ, that he was the son of David. So our Lord then tries their answer and puts them to the test from the scriptures that they had. How then doth David in spirit call him Lord? And so the question that is before us this evening, I felt on, there's two sides to it really, there's two questions here. What think ye of Christ, whose son is he? Obviously our Lord, what he's asking them, what think ye of Christ, 
is centering on his sonship. And I want to think of that first, thinking biblically, what do we think of Christ biblically, and especially of the sonship of Christ? Thinking biblically of the sonship of Christ. But then secondly, what think we personally of Christ? And I think we'll find, as I have found in meditating upon this word, it's a very searching word. There are many things that we might think of Christ that is based upon the word of God. But if that was turned around and said, no, you personally, by your experience, what do you think of Christ? That is a very searching question. And I want to look at that in the second place. But firstly, biblically, this very question, the sonship of Christ, through the history of the church and especially in our connection with our denomination has caused divisions and historical separations over the years. In 1850s when the Gospel Standard was formed it was because of the controversy where some said that Jesus was only a son by his birth into this world. He was not the eternal Son of God. And this is the very centre of the question that is asked here, pointing to Psalm 110. But it was through that, through two magazines, the Gospel Standard magazine, which contended for the eternal sonship of Christ, through J.C. Philpott when he edited it. And from that comes his booklet, The Eternal Sonship of Our Lord. And then the other magazine, The Earthen Vessel, that contended for the other view. And that then brought about the churches that gathered together on the Gospel Standard list, those that held to eternal sonship view and those that did not were excluded from that. And so historically that is an issue that has formed, uh, had a big uh, part in forming our denomination. Recent years there is the controversy that keeps coming on as to our Lord Jesus Christ that he was not a real man, people say, and that he did not have a soul. The soul's position was taken by his divinity and that actually his body wasn't a real body like we have, flesh and blood, but it was some um, spiritual body, a different entity altogether. And this controversy still divides and still there are those in our connections that hold to that. It's not surprising when it is a very central, central doctrine. We think of John when he writes with the 
to the epistles, he said, if any man bring you not this doctrine, the doctrine of Christ, who does not confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, that we are not to bid him Godspeed or have him into our houses. It is such an important doctrine, the view that we have of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you can think that nearly every cult or every false religion that the errors will be concerning our Lord. The Jehovah's Witnesses laugh at the idea of the Trinity. They feel it is foolish. And how could it be? There could be three persons in one Godhead, one God, but three distinct persons. And they relegate our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ to a created being and not one with the Father and the Holy Ghost. And so this question is a very, very important question. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Or in this point, thinking biblically of the sonship of Christ. Well, firstly here, the answer that they gave was a correct answer, that he was the son of David. And the two of the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, that give the lineage to our Lord, both show so very clearly. The very first chapter in Matthew gives the beautiful pattern of 14 generations, 14 generations from Abraham to David, from David to the carrying away into Babylon, and from the carrying away into Babylon under Christ, 14 generations. And we see the line that is going right through David. And this is the kingship line. The line is not the bloodline, but it's appointing to our Lord as the king. And that goes through Solomon, the son of David. If we were then to turn to the account in Luke and... Then we see in chapter 3 of Luke the bloodline which goes back from our Lord and through uh, the line right through to, to Mary, or from Mary right through to Adam and the Son of God. And we see that that also goes through David, through David's son Nathan. And so in both Mary and Joseph, our Lord truly was the son of David. And that which was expected of them, that which was prophesied, our Lord truly came in that line. And this is clearly set forth in the inspired word of God that the promised seed, the promised son of David, did come and that Jesus of Nazareth was that son. And so this answer was a correct answer, a right answer. And yet our Lord's further questioning of them shook them really. They could not work it out. It's a reminder to us, we might know certain truths. You might be able to clearly state certain truths. But someone may come 
and set before us some other scriptures that may shake us in our mind. And we may think, well, have we got the first one right? We're not told here what they were thinking. They could not answer him a, a word, but we're not told what was thinking. But obviously, it, it shook what their answer was. And it is a reminder to us, just because we haven't got an answer to someone who may bring something that challenges another one of our beliefs, doesn't mean to say it's wrong. What our Lord spoke here really led to the second truth that not only was he the son of David, but he was also the son of God, the eternal son of God. And so later on when the uh, Jews uh, accused the Lord, when our Lord said that before Abraham was, I am, and they said, but thou art not yet 50 years of age. Art thou older than Abraham? And our Lord was very clear that before Abraham was, I am. Abraham saw my day and rejoiced at it. And we have the eternal sonship. By him were all things made. Nothing was made that was made, yet was not made by him. When man was formed, let us make man in our own image. And we have our Lord, the beautiful chapters in Proverbs, uh, personified with wisdom, uh, that by the Lord, when he made the earth and formed the earth, there was I, there was the Lord, there was the Son of God. And we have, of course, the beautiful pre-incarnation appearances of our Lord. The three men that met with Abraham in Genesis 18. Later we have the Lord remaining, speaking with Abraham as Abraham makes intercession for Lot and two angels go on their way to Sodom. But the third was the Lord one of the pre-incarnation appearances in the form of a man to Abraham, the same as it was with Jacob. There wrestled a man with him to the breaking of the day. Jacob's name was changed from Jacob to Israel because thou hast wrestled with God and with man and hast prevailed, God and man in one person. We have the same when the angel appeared to Manoah and his wife. Manoah said, we have seen God and therefore we shall die. But his wife said that uh, if we were to die, then why would we have been told such things at this time? Why would he have shown us these things? But again, it was one of those times of the Son of Man, the Eternal Son, the Second Person in the Trinity, showing himself in that form on earth and asked his name. He wouldn't give it. Wouldn't give it to Noah and his wife. Gideon was another one. Wouldn't give his name to him. But then in, in Matthew, of course, we have in that first chapter the beautiful, His name. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. And Paul in 
his letter to the Philippians, a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. But those appearances beforehand, we could add a number a lot more of the appearance of our Lord to Joshua as they went into the promised land. Paul tells us they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Right the way through the wilderness, he was with the church there in the wilderness. And so when our Lord says to the Pharisees here and brings before them Psalm 110 and asks them how then if, if Christ is to be the son of David, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? What a blessed realisation. And David would have known this in the beautiful Psalms and prophecies. David would have known, just the same as Job, that his Redeemer lived and that he would stand at the latter day upon the earth. In the descriptions in the Word of God of our Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, we must always remember, great is the mystery of godliness, God manifest in the flesh. It is a mystery. It can only really be explained by the words of Scripture itself. And like perhaps looking at a diamond from different aspects, different angles, or anything else, a house or something like that. You're looking at the same building, but when you look at it one side, it looks one way, and you look at another side, you look at a plan view, and it looks different again, but it's all the same house, and it all fits together, and it all is together. And so you have that with the descriptions of our Lord. He is the son of David, he is also the Son of God. He is also the Son of the Father. We think of how the Gospel according to Mark begins. The very first verse. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Son of God. And this is also reaffirmed, set forth in Paul's epistle to the Romans in the first chapter of Romans. Then we have in the third verse in that chapter, concerning his son, Read from verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David 
according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And he brings together the son of David, a seed of David according to the flesh, the seed of the woman that should bruise the serpent's head, but declared to be the son of God with power. The temptations that our Lord endured in the wilderness after his baptism, the first ones were from Satan, if thou be the Son of God. And he sought in that way to trip him up, to make him do things. Really as a servant to Satan, but our Lord did not need to prove his sonship in that way. Satan knew full well that he was indeed the Son of God. We have also in John's epistles that he is the Son of the Father. Now, Lord, in, in the Gospel according to John, chapter 10, spoke very much of his Father and him being one. And uh, then again, his Father greater than I. But in the epistle, of John, 2 John chapter 1. Now, well, there's only one chapter in that, but in the, that chapter, uh, then we have verse 3. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And so we appointed to the Son of David and the Son of God and the Son of the Father. And in the Gospels in the New Testament, there's 43 times that we read that phrase, Son of God, in relation to our Lord Jesus Christ. Then we have the Son of of man. The Lord used that term of himself and really much more times, 85 times, many more times than the description of the Son of God. We spoke in December of the question that related to that in Matthew chapter 16. And in verse 15, I think it was our question, our Lord asked them that he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But the uh, Lord had asked them, in verse 13, Whom do men say that I, the Son of man, a son of man and it is very important as we said one of the errors is being held at this present time that the true manhood of Christ is maintained that he was really and truly made flesh and dwelt among us 
He took on him not the nature of angels, which is only spirit, nor that of beasts, which is only flesh, but of the seed of Abraham, which is flesh and blood and spirit. Both the soul and the body are redeemed. At death, the people of God, their souls return unto God that gave them. Their soul is redeemed, but also their bodies are redeemed. And at the resurrection, they shall be raised incorruptible and joined again together. Paul says in Romans 8 that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain until now, not only they, but also those of us that have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan waiting for uh, the redemption of the body, waiting for that time that not only the soul but the body is restored again, incorruptible. There is a terrestrial body, there is a celestial body. This mortality must put on immortality and the Apostle goes into it very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so it's vital that our Lord should take on him uh, the nature of those that he was to redeem. Several years ago, when giving Bibles to the local school, one of the children asked a question. I used to encourage them very much to ask questions. I asked a lot of them. Uh, this young girl asked a question and the class found it quite amusing really but it gave me an opening to set forth why our Lord had to be a real man and she said did it matter how our Lord how Jesus came into this world what if he came as an octopus did he have to be a man and of course an octopus, a fish, not of those that had sinned, not of those that was to be redeemed, only flesh, no soul, same with all of the animal kingdom. And he gave that opportunity to set forth what man is, that we are body and soul. And as set forth in Ecclesiastes, who knoweth the spirit of the beast that goes downward into the earth and the spirit of man that goeth upward. And our Lord must be made partaker of both the same. Great is the mystery of godliness, God manifest in the flesh. That holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The Holy Ghost should overshadow Mary and so the Sinners, sinnership of Mary or the, the line there was not to be followed into our Lord. He was to be the Son of God with power from heaven and yet he was to be truly man, truly man. And we must hold fast to that, the very glorified flesh and bones of our Lord that hung upon the cross are now glorified in heaven and nowhere else. Elijah taken up bodily into heaven, his body was not found on earth. He was taken up into heaven the same as those that 
shall remain and be alive when the Lord comes again. We shall be changed, says the Apostle. And all these things, they are are mysterious things, but we believe them as the Scriptures reveal them. And the Jews were in no doubt. They put the question the other way around. They accused the Lord that of being a man, that he made himself God. In their eyes, he was very clearly a man. But the truth would have been that he is God that made himself man. They could not see that. They could really through his miracles, our Lord testify, the miracles they testify of me. We must hold fast to the true humanity of our Lord. He is a near kinsman. He did partake of the flesh and blood of those that he was to redeem. It truly was that blood that was shed at Calvary of the God-man. One person, two natures, one eternal Son of God, two natures, man and God in one person. Then we have the son of Joseph. The Jews, they viewed our Lord and often it was a real stumbling block to them. Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter's son? And they stumbled at him. They were offended at him. When our Lord was 12 years of age and his parents had brought him up to Jerusalem to worship, when they returned, they'd gone three days and didn't realise that the child Jesus was still remaining and not with them. And they went back then seeking him, and after three days they found him in the temple, uh, asking questions and being questioned by the lawyers. And his mother said uh, to him, Why hast thou dealt with us thus, thy father? And I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said to them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Very clearly telling her, Joseph is not my father. My father is in heaven. Yes, then he went back and was subject to them as far as you might say, in indecency, in far, as far as the law of the land, in far as the eyes of those that were round about him, Joseph was his father. As far as the line in, in Matthew 1, it led straight to Joseph, the son of Joseph. But in that line in, in Luke, we have as was supposed the son of Joseph. And the inspired word of God is very clear in this, that he is the son of God. And all these aspects, these different ways of looking at our Lord and viewing him in a scriptural way, our Lord asking this question, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? In one way, 
as we believe the word of God, receive the word of God as the inspired word of God, may what we think of Christ be what the scriptures tell us of Christ. We think of the way that the first epistle, general of John, finishes. We know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So may we truly have that scripture right view of our Lord. What think ye of Christ, whose son is he? May we really be able to answer that. But then secondly, what are the questions asked of us? What do we personally think of Christ? Not what we think we should think of him. Sometimes when we ask questions, we know what the right answer should be. But if we're honest with our heart, we may not be able to give that answer. And so when we have it in this way, what think ye of Christ? May we search our own hearts. What do we really think of him? I want to mention a few things based upon my own experience. I am what I think of him and why. My mind went back first to Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53, which beautifully sets forth our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and his sufferings, but it begins in this way, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Despised and rejected of men. And you know, my mind went back to the days of my unregeneracy, days when he used to sit in the house of God, turn off from the services, no desire to listen, never prayed myself personally. I had no views of the Lord nor my need of him at all. I think this Isaiah 53, that is how the Lord was to me then. What think ye of Christ in those days? Nothing. Just as a root out of dry ground. No form nor comeliness. No beauty that we should desire him. I didn't desire him didn't want him, didn't seek him. And so I felt in this, when we ask this question, what think ye of Christ? To put it in this way, is it the same as how we thought years ago? Or has something changed? 
You know, when the Lord first began with my heart and convicted me of, of actually swearing in, in my workplace, the first reaction was, I changed that swearing to, and you might find this strange, to taking the Lord's name in vain, only for a short while. Then the Lord turned it about and really convicted me of what I was doing. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And it is always that which now, and I hope it will always be so with a tender conscience, that where the Lord's name is taken in vain, that will immediately jar, immediately be that which recoils. It may be I can be tempted to go into places or do things or hear things that are wrong and could be led astray that way. But as soon as someone comes in and they start to speak the name of the Lord in vain, then immediately that registers this. This is one who is no longer meaningless. He is precious. And we read in, in Peter, unto you which believe, he is precious. And when the Lord is precious to us, if someone touches them, if someone touches their name, if someone speaks evil against them, then we'll immediately react to that. If with our husband or our wife, if someone was to be blackening their name or speaking against them, then immediately where there's that love to them, we'd rise up, we'd defend them. It would hurt us that their name was being blackened or spoken against. And so though we may perhaps find it hard to put into words, well, what think we of Christ? Is his name precious? And do we feel sorrow when his name is taken in vain and despised and hated and rejected? And has the Lord made a difference in us? so that we are not now what we once were. must have been like that with the Apostle Paul, Saul as he was. He hated the name of Jesus. Those that called on his name, he persecuted them. But then he became one that called on that very same name. And the Lord made that change and made that difference. The other thing I thought and I hope it's so with some of you here. What think ye of Christ? And the answer is, he is my hope. He is my only hope. I see myself so full of sin, so full of iniquity, so full of failures. But the Lord is my hope. The hymn writer says, if ever my poor soul be saved, tis Christ must be the way. And to have that, that thought of Christ, that I without him, again the hymn writer says, my perish must. Our Lord said there is only one name given among men whereby we must be saved. 
And if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall perish in your sins. And that he is able to save unto the uttermost all that come unto God by him. And there's that realisation that outside of Christ we do not have hope. The Apostle writing to the Hebrews, he says we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope for what we uh, see, we don't hope for. Our Lord has entered into heaven, we see him not with our natural eyes. But we are saved by hope and it is through the grace of God that we are raised up and that will be whenever we're overcome by sin, our hope will be in heaven. You think of the psalmist, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet uh, praise him for the help of his countenance and his hope was in his God. When David had those at Ziklag that were seeking to stone him, he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. That was where his, his hope was, his refuge was. What think ye of Christ? Can we add in that? He is my hope, my only hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest rain, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Another thought of Christ. He is my Redeemer. Job, he was able in his great affliction to say, I know my Redeemer liveth. I love the way Psalm 25 finishes. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. And the only way that we can get out of our troubles is by being redeemed out of them. And when I think of my unregeneracy, it was the Lord that brought me from death to life. It was him that first turned my feet from sin and evil and unto him that redemption that setting free from bondage that loosing the chains of nature's darkness and from every snare and every trap that is laid by the devil or the world it's the Lord that set free and it's a precious truth to realise and to know that how many in the days of his flesh did the Lord loose from their bonds, from their sicknesses, from their wrong views, from their wrong teachings? What think you, Christ? Is he your redeemer? Is he mine? Do we view that if our souls are to be set free and where our souls have been set free, it is the Lord that does that. If the Son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Words that the Lord preciously dropped into my soul years ago. Another aspect is that of David. David says in Psalm 23, 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's a beautiful psalm. And there's so many aspects of the shepherd. He gives the sheep their protection. He gives them their food. He gives them their guidance. And you know, I can look back in my life and those aspects of what the good shepherd does for his sheep. The Lord has done that in my life. Now I'll instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go and guide thee with mine eye. When he putteth forth his sheep, he goeth before them. The times I've seen the Lord go before me. And that's a beautiful illustration. I remember walking under the blessing of the Lord in the woods near here. And the words dropping in at the end of that psalm, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those times don't abide with us. They're not always with us. We don't always feel them like that. And so sometimes we might wonder whether we really did feel them or whether we really can lay claim to those precious things. But... May we hold fast and the Holy Spirit bring to remembrance those times when scriptures like that have been very precious because the Lord's dropped them in and we've been under the influence and savour of the Holy Spirit and Christ has been precious. Remember what our Lord said of the Spirit, he shall not speak of himself. But that which he doth hear, he does receive of mine and shall show it unto you. He is our guide. Those of you who know me know how the Lord so bless that hymn 906 to me. Oh, where shall I find a guide to direct, right, skillful and kind, brave to protect? And the last line of that, and only be living to publish thy praise. And it is a blessed thing to know something of what the children of Israel knew all their wilderness journey, the fiery, cloudy pillar that went before them and it showed them the way that they were to go. And the more we realise that, that the Lord has shown us and has directed us, the more that will be a comfort in reflecting of that. What think ye of Christ? He is my guide. He is the way. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And when we realise that he has shown us the way and he leads us in the way. Beautiful Psalm 107, isn't it? He led them forth by the right way that they might go unto a city of habitation. He is my wisdom. When I think of what Christ is to me. What think ye of Christ? All the wisdom that I need. The man of times, when I was in design engineering, praying to the Lord at my desk and as designing machines, how shall this machine work? How, what shape shall it take? Will it be hydraulic, electric, pneumatic? What way? And, and, and what shall be the footprint of it? And, and even then simple things later on in life. Many times asking of the Lord 
And he gives that wisdom, and especially in the things of God. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And Christ is the wisdom of God. And then perhaps lastly, the Lord is the forerunner going before us. Paul, he says, let us run the races set before us looking unto Jesus. What think ye of Christ? He is like that first sheaf safely gathered in. He is the elder brother. He is the one already with the father. And he prays, I will that they whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. What think ye of Christ? I mean, if we lose sight that he is already there, we lose sight of that hope beyond the grave. We lose sight of what dear Stephen did when he was dying, being stoned, was able to look up and he saw the Lord standing at the right hand of God. Off the church of God is to have their thoughts where the Lord is. And their desire like the Apostle Paul and he was able to say when Christ who is our life shall appear then shall we also appear with him. He had a desire to depart and be with Christ which was far better. That whole desire of heaven is based on that the Lord is there. The Lord is there. What think we of Christ? He is there. He is our heaven. He makes our heaven. And here below, the sweet foretaste, he makes it so. So may we go away with some meditation on this and thought of our own experience of what the Holy Spirit has shown us of Christ, what Christ is to us, and to meditate upon this, how we should answer without the second part directing us to his sonship or to a biblical what we think of Christ, but what ye think of Christ, by what we have partaken of him and experienced of him, of his grace and known of him, that we don't just have a religion of doctrine without feeling and experience or religion of just saying what we think we should say because it's in the Catechism or because it's in the Bible, but not able to come in with that man that was born blind. One thing I know, whereas I was blind, now I see. They asked him, what sayest thou of him that opened thine eyes? He is a prophet. Well, later on the Lord revealed himself to him as he really was the Son of God. Well, may we then be able to answer this. What think ye of Christ? Amen.